to get everybody caught up, last week we kicked off this 31-week journey called The Story. And now some of you uh, have spent time at other uh, campuses of Lutheran Church of Hope, and the great thing is we're doing the same thing. Every single week, every single campus is the same uh, scripture. And so we're going to be traveling uh, through this and, and learning together. We're on this incredible journey uh, together as a church, not only here on Sundays, but we hope in your life groups. Uh, so one way to do it is come here and worship. Another way to do it is get connected with a life group during the week, as we talked about before. And the third way is to do the scripture readings. I don't know if you know, on the back of your bulletin every week, there's scripture readings that, that lead up to that. And we, want it, we don't want Sunday to be the only time that you're cracking open your Bible. Amen? We want your Bibles to be falling apart because of overuse, right? And so that's a good problem to have. So we want to encourage you uh, to be doing that uh, as well. And as we talked about last week, the reason we're doing this is the more that we understand God's story, the more we understand our stories, right? So many of us are searching for wisdom in our lives today. We're searching for direction. We're looking for a sense of, of a peace or fulfillment. We're not going to find that looking to ourselves. We're going to find that looking to God and his story and these timeless truths that we have in front of us. And so today I mentioned that we're going to actually begin. Last week was kind of an introduction. Now we're jumping in to chapter one. But I think it's important for us to understand what exactly it is that we're reading. So every week, we're actually going to ask you to bring, uh, my Bible looks like this, but you may have brought your own, and that's great, but we want you to bring your Bible Bible, and we want you to bring your story Bible. Now, some of you might be confused saying, why do I need to bring two books? Well, here's, here's something I want to say. Sometimes I think, as Christians, we uh, have a tendency uh, to read the newest Christian book, right? Maybe some of you go to a Christian bookstore or something comes out, right? The Purpose Driven Life or, or, or the Da Vinci Code or whatever the hot new book is that Christians are reading. Some of those have more truth than others, obviously, and we always want to balance them out with God's word and, and line them up. But I think the danger is when we start to lift up some of those books and say, well, this is my new Bible, right? This, this is my new truth, right? And meanwhile, God's word sits on the shelf. And so I think it's extremely important that we know what exactly it is we're doing here over the next 31 weeks. So we're going to have a little quiz. Are you ready for a quiz? Okay. All right. Well, whether you're ready or not, we're going to do it, right? You don't, have, <laughs> you don't have a choice. All right. So we're going to do a quiz. I'm going to hold up uh, a few different books, and you're going to tell me Bible or not Bible. All right. We're going to say Bible. I say not Bible, okay? So when I hold up a book, you tell me what that is, okay? So here's an easy one. Obviously, you know Bible, Bible all right? So like I said, Christian books come along. A couple years ago, we did this awesome book called The Dream Giver. Anybody remember The Dream Giver? We, we went through that together, and a lot of, a lot of you, God, for a lot of you, God used this to set you free. He used this book to, to point you to God's word, which truly sets us free. But this is not the Bible, all right? So now I'm going to... Oh, you're so smart. Okay, so then I know that some of you love devotionals, right? You go to Christian bookstores or some, a friend gives you something and you get a great devotional and it's, it's, it's written by a great Christian author and that's awesome. One of the ones I use a lot is uh, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers. I don't know if any of you have heard of that, but whatever devotional you have, some of you get really into these and you're like, this is my new Bible. This is my new book. But this points us to God's word. It, it has some scripture in it, but it's Oswald Chambers' word. And he's a smart guy. He's a good Christian guy. But it's not the Bible, right? 
So, to quiz you again, I gotta get my books right up here. Okay, you're getting it, all right. Um, now, this one's a little bit different. This is a book called For Hawkeye Fans Only, okay? See, now I got you all confused, I don't know. Seriously, though. Okay, good, awesome. Now, last but not least, that was a tough one, I know. Uh, it contains, it points us to God, doesn't it? Um, okay, now, last but not least, here we go. Bible. Bible. Oh, see, now I got you confused. That's the thing. It is the Bible, right? Ready? Bible. There you go. Awesome, right? I figured you'd get it, right? But some of us will look at this and say, Max Lucado, he's a Christian author. Yeah, he wrote the forward to this, but what we want you to know, and this is going to be very difficult, Everything that's in here comes out of here, okay? This is the Bible. In fact, these scriptures are the new international version of the Bible, the best-selling English translation of the Bible in history, okay? So, now, when you get into this, though, you're going to start reading through it, and we're going to see today there are some italics. So we're reading through here, and all of a sudden, this is the Bible, straight out of God's Word, okay? This is not a Max Lucado book, God's word, okay? And we come to some italics. That's because not the entire Bible is in here. Like I said, these are 31 of the most foundational stories of the Bible. And so to tie the whole story together, what they've done, these expert scholars that know a lot help you bridge the gap from one story to the next. And so as you're reading along these next 31 weeks, that's what those italics are, okay? So now, the reason for that is when... We're going to throw up scripture on the screen today as we're going through this. We want you to bring both because one points you to the other. We're going to put up the scripture reference, and then we're going to put up the page number in the story. Does that make sense? So we're going to put up both. So you can look up uh, either one, whatever you want. So just to clarify, just a reminder. Awesome. You got it. You're so smart. You're so smart. Um, So as we're walking through this... um, I want you to remember that. Everything in the story comes straight out of Scripture. So, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from Genesis 1, a little bit of what Andy read for us before, or if you're in the story, page 1. All right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now when you read that, the the easiest thing to look over, because we jump to plants and animals and exciting things like that with the creation story, and Adam and Eve and biting the apple, and we're going to get to that. But what I don't want you to miss is what's at the very beginning of this story. The very beginning of of life as we know it, right? In the beginning, God. I know in the beginning God created. We'll get to that. But in the beginning, God. Life is not about us. In fact, one of those best-selling Christian books that we've read before, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, says the first line of that book is, life is not about you. It's about God and it's about his glory. And so our story starts with that. In the beginning, God. God is always previous. God is always before. He is the one holding the world together. 
Our story starts with a God who is also an artist. And he is creating a masterpiece. And later on, we're going to read that you and I were created in his image, which makes us artists. Did you know that you were an artist? Some of you are saying, I have no ounce of creative ability in me whatsoever. And that's okay. You are made in the image of a creative God, of an artist. And so today, we're going to make it easy on you. I told you, we're going to have just as much fun as the kids in Kingdom Quest. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the ushers forward right now, and they're going to be coming down with everybody's favorite, crayons. Okay? Underneath your chair is a coloring sheet, and I want you to pick that up right now. And as they pass the crayons down, I want you to take two crayons. Don't just hog the best colors. Take two crayons and pass it down, okay? We're going to get our creative juices flowing this morning. Take two crayons and pass them down. Make sure everybody gets one, all right? If you want to trade with your neighbor, if you want an elephant instead of a giraffe, you can do that, okay? I'll trust you to share and get along and and, and trade off your colors, okay? So here's what you're going to do. I am giving you permission to not pay attention for a little bit, okay? How many pastors say that, right? I am giving you permission to create. I'm giving you permission to participate in God's story and not just be a spectator, okay? If you didn't get a a sheet or a crayon, they'll, they'll just raise your hand and they'll get one to you, okay? So for the next 10 minutes or so, I don't want you to take the whole rest of our service today, right? Don't make it too complicated, all right? But I want you to color. There's no right or wrong way to do it. I just want you to do it and enjoy it. And if you think that you're too cool for this, don't be a party pooper, right? You're not too cool for school, right? Life is not about you. It's about God. We learned that in Genesis 1, verse 1, all right? And I'm going to trust that you're listening, okay? Just color it however you want, okay? As you're coloring, just so I know nobody's falling asleep and you're still with me, just look up, look up at me every once in a while. Give me a thumbs up or a smiley, you know, just smile just so I know that, uh, that you're still with me, okay? I want to give you some inspiration. And the reason we're doing this is not just as a fun little trick. We're doing it because we are made in the image of a creator, of a, a creative God who is an artist, And some of you might need a little inspiration. Maybe this is the first time you've colored in about 25 years, and that's okay. So I want you to take a look at this video, actually. If you don't want to just listen to the music and let that inspire, you do that. But instead of me telling you about creation, I want you to experience creation. So be inspired as you watch God's world unfold on the screens up in front of you. Man, if that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what does, right? Now you're all pumped up to to create, I know. We don't have to go far to realize that everywhere we look around us has the mark of an artist's hand. Think about that for a second. Don't get lost in the debates, at least right away here. We don't want you to check your heads at the door, but right away here. Take a step back at creation for a second and realize this did not happen on accident. This happened with precision and passion. It has the mark of an artist. In fact, I don't know if a lot of you growing up in Sunday school, do you remember uh, the, learning about the creation story in Sunday school? Do you remember flannel graphs? 
Remember those, right? They're kind of sticky and they're kind of that felt and you, you stick it on the felt board, right? And there's Adam and Eve and they're hiding behind the bushes because they're naked and all the kids, you know, squeal and everything like that. And then you've got the plants and animals and everything like that. If that's where your understanding of creation ended, you might be missing something. Chapter one of God's story is one of the most incredible chapters in the entire book. If, you, if, if it stopped with Sunday school... You're missing something. Think about the most beautiful scenes that you have ever seen on earth. Rainforest, a prairie in full bloom, the Alps under a winter snow, a sunset over a white sand beach. Genesis 1 is calling out to us saying, Now, imagine the most beautiful scenes you've ever seen in your life. Imagine them now on the day that they were born. Imagine that. Imagine being there at the dawn of creation. But if you're anything like me, sometimes when you read the creation story, it can seem so distant. It can seem so out there. Oh, yeah, John, that's great, but that happened thousands, even millions of years ago. How do we experience that here today? I tell you what, if we would open our eyes, we would see that God's glory is all around us. Wait a few weeks here and drive down Kingman Boulevard. the mark of a creator. Next time you're driving on on, uh, Interstate 80 or the next time you're driving on Interstate 35, look at the cornfields during harvest season and watch the golden sun set on the corn about to be harvested. The mark of a creator. I want to challenge you. Get out of the city sometime these next couple weeks and go somewhere where you can see the stars. When's the last time you saw the stars? the mark of a creator's hand. God is everywhere. His glory is everywhere. We have the echoes of Eden all around us every day if we would stop and look. And here's what I want to talk about today. When we see creation, we see a a, a creation that is both epic, that that is insanely huge and massive and beyond our wildest dreams, that's epic. But we also see a creation that's intimate, that is so precise of a God that comes so close. And I believe that as we look at this creation story, we'll also learn something about the character of God. You ever thought about this? Don't get distracted by the creation and lose the creator in the midst of it. When we read God's word, we learn about the character of God. And what I think we we see about the character of God is that God is over everything. He is totally in control of everything. God is holding the rotation of the planets in the palm of his hand. Don't you think that he can take care of your future? Think about that. So we have a God that is both epic and we have a God that is intimate. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it. He's he's reflecting on creation in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. In fact, look up with me just for a second. Take a break and let's read this together. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So what Paul is saying that not only is God the author of this story, and not only is he the creator, but everything was created for him. 
for his glory. And what we learn in verse 16 is he created all things. Now, just stop for a second and think about that. He created every good thing. And sometimes as Christians, we can become so numb to creation. We can become so numb because here's what we think. Oh, yeah, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the planets. Yay. I learned that in Sunday school. That's great. It's so big. God created every good thing. Don't overlook music. Does anybody love music? Without God, no music. Not just Christian music, folks, right? I know. Life 107.1 is great, okay? No music. Zero without God. How about sports? <laughs> That's a joy for some of us. God created the idea of sports. Think about that. Created the Hawkeyes, then the Cyclones. <laughs> God created every good thing. Remember the last time you felt a cool fall breeze? God created that, and he gave you the sensation to feel that. How about art? Does anybody love art? Does anybody love mu- music? Does anybody love uh, a cold lemonade on a summer's day or a hot chocolate in the middle of December? God created lemonade. God created hot chocolate, and he gave you the taste buds to go, wow, that's awesome. God is epic, but he's so intimate to put taste buds on your tongue. What kind of a God is this? A playful God, an extravagant God, a generous God. Does anybody love to take a nap? At the end of this story, we read, and on the seventh day, God did what? He rested. He's saying, hello, I'm the leader here. Do as I say, right? Rest. A nap is a holy thing, is a gift from God. Everything that you love, anything that has ever brought you joy goes back to Genesis 1. Think about that. If we can get Genesis 1-1 down, (laughs) life's not about us, and God created everything, we'll be doing well. There's something much bigger going on here. So let me explain this epic and intimate thing a little bit more. If we go to one of the greatest theologians of all time, uh, Mr. Webster, in his dictionary, uh, as he gives us epic, the word epic is defined as of unusually great size or extent, or, I love this definition, heroic, majestic, here you go, impressively great. That is impressively great. No wonder. So think about epic. Think about that definition. And now think about the last time you read the Psalms. (laughs) No wonder the Psalms are full of things like the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. It was created so much for God's glory that even creation itself can't help but worship. Why do we worship on Sunday mornings? It's what we were created to do, right? (laughs) Every ounce of us was created to worship something so much bigger and greater than us. That's why we do it. When's the last time you stood in awe of something? Or are things just a little bit too busy? When's the last time you had a childlike wonder at the world around you? 
Or has that all gotten lost in adulthood and being productive? Genesis 1 calls out to every single one of us and says, You, grown adult, where's the child? Where did that childlike wonder go? When's the last time you gave your soul room to breathe? You might be saying, John, that's a little hard to do. You know, I, I live here in the city, and it's a little bit hard to let my soul breathe when all I see are uh, pizza places and gas stations and stoplights, right? That's a little hard, isn't it? It can be, but you know what we can do anytime, anywhere, regardless of where we are? Worship. Is worship a Sunday morning thing? No. When's the last time you worshiped alone in your home? When's the last time you just put on some music and just fell on your knees before the God of creation and say, you are worthy of worship no matter what's going on in my life? When's the last time you did that? You can worship anytime, anywhere, no matter what's going on in your life. That's why we worship here because maybe, just maybe, if we can provide anything for you here on Sunday mornings, it's to give you an hour for your soul to breathe. <laughs> Let it breathe. Stand in awe. As you're finishing up your paintings, uh, your uh, coloring, we know that creation did not end with light and darkness, right? Like any great masterpiece, like any great work of art, you know when a, a painter starts out a painting, it's, it's kind of basic. Or when a, uh, a composer starts out writing a symphony, it's pretty basic. He just puts a few notes in there. But then as any good symphony, it grows and it swells. As any, as any good painting, there starts to be the color and, and, and it builds and it gets more complex. Now think about it for a second. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, look at the way that Genesis 1 unfolds, page 1 and 2 if you're in the story Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. It's like a blank sheet. It's like a, a, a blank page on your computer screen. There's nothing. And then light and darkness and then heavens and the earth, and then land and sea, and then large sweeping movements of a grand scale. It's like God's just having fun and just putting paint on his hands, and he's got this big canvas. And God's saying, light and darkness. And then he's saying, earth and sea and sky and stars. And this has to be so much fun, right? God's like, oh, I'm going to name this one Mars and Neptune and Pluto. That's a good spot for him, right? This is so much fun. We have this playful, generous, extravagant God in, in, it, in its building, and then plants and vegetation, and then animals. Do you sense that this is building to something? Think about your favorite movie. Think about your favorite song. What are you waiting for? The climax, right? You can't wait for the ending, because you know that everything has been building towards the masterpiece. And then, and then, in Genesis 1, verse 20 some, 27, something incredible happens. This is the top of page 3 in your story Bible. In fact, I'm going to read it right out of the story. This is on page, uh, bottom of page 2. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
Now listen to this. This is the grand finale, folks. Don't miss this. This is the crescendo. This is God's masterpiece. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. We are the pinnacle, the crown jewel of God's creation. He's saying the stars and the planets and the, 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 the meadows and the, the elephant and the giraffe, and they're all great. But I want to create something that I can have a relationship with, that I can imprint my image at the level of their soul. And he created you. And he created you. Do you believe that you are more beautiful than a sunset over the beach? Do you believe that your life is more incredible than a sunrise over the Rocky Mountains? Think about that for a second. You are the crown jewel of creation. Now, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, going, John, seriously, when I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is go look at myself in the mirror and I've got hair coming out and I've got boogers hanging out and I haven't shaved and my breath smells rancid, the first thing that's going through my mind as I'm looking at myself in the mirror is not, wow, I am the crown jewel of creation. (laughs) Probably not, right? But here's the good thing. God's image that he's placed in your life has nothing to do with the outside and everything to do with what he's placed inside. You are a man or woman created in the image of God, which means that you have value. Don't don't miss this. The epic just got very, very intimate. God takes his heart. He takes his image. Think about this. When an artist is finished with their masterpiece, what do they do? They sign it. And when God finishes with his masterpiece, he puts on your soul. Creator. Maybe just G, because he's so cool. You know what that means? You know what Genesis 127 tells us? Before anybody else in this world gets to tell you who you are, God does. God always gets the first and last word about how much value you have. I don't care where, you, where you're from. I don't care what you've done. Genesis 127 says you have infinite value because God created you and God does not make mistakes. Amen? You are made in the image of God and you are also created for relationship. God creates us in his image and he gives us this incredible gift, maybe the greatest gift of all, the ability to love. The ability to love. And yet with that gift, there's a flip side to it. With that gift comes the only thing that makes love, love. You have to have the ability to reject it, right? Love's not really love if it's just forced, right? In fact, one of my favorite authors, uh, Philip Yancey, puts it this way. Power, which God has a lot of, right? We just witnessed that in creation, right? Power can do everything but the most important thing. It cannot control love. Parents, you know this, right? (laughs) 
especially with teenagers, right? Respect me, love me, right? Love is a two-way street. Spouses, you know this. Maybe the greatest act of grace that you ever experienced in your life is getting married because that person's saying, I'm willing to put up with you for the rest of my life, right? That's a lot of grace. Love is a, is a, is a, is a two-way street. And so I want to read to you one of these uh, italic parts in here that kind of bridges the gap from one part of the story to the next. The bottom of page four in your story Bible. God had created a beautiful world and filled it with glorious, diverse creatures. Of all his creation, he singled out two humans to build a relationship with, Adam and Eve. These two people were blessed to share their paradise with each other and God. And here's, here's a question that just arrested me this week. So why would they want anything else? Why would they want anything else? God says to Adam and Eve, you have more freedom than you will ever know what to do with, right? Go and explore paradise. That might take you the rest of your life. That might take you eternity. And at that moment, they had eternity to explore it. And God says, just trust me on this one thing. Trust that my heart is good. God says, trust that I'm not holding anything back from you. I have given you every good and perfect thing. God says, just this one thing. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else. You have the entire amusement park to play in, right? Just don't go on the hippo ride, right? Everything you could ever want. All the joy and all the pleasure that you would ever want. Just don't do this one thing. That's all I ask. Although the message of chapter 1 is about creation and all things that are good, I want you to think for a second about the stories that you love the most. Every single one of them has a villain. It has a bad guy, doesn't it? Why do you think that is? Because your story has a villain. Enter the villain. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read from the top of page 5. In the story. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree, uh, any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, see, she remembered, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. And the lie comes in You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. A.K.A. He's holding out on you. You can't really trust him. And isn't that the root of sin? Period. Not just millions of years ago, but for you this week. What it's going to come down to for every single one of us this week is, do we trust that God's heart is good and that he's not holding out on us? The serpent, the evil one, comes in and says, oh, you know what? You know that one tree? God just doesn't want you to experience that pleasure. 
he's holding out on you. And that's the lie that is sown. So you would think with paradise at their fingertips, with all the joys and pleasures they could ever want, the creator himself offering them a relationship, you and I would say, Adam and Eve would be out of their mind to bite the fruit. They'd be out of their mind. That's crazy. Who would trade everything for a bunch of lies? And yet I think if we're honest with ourselves, we do that. Our story is not so different. That's our story because, you see, far too often I think what we do is we view sinful behavior as somehow escaping God's cruel boundaries and his laws and his rules. And we have to really leave God if we're really going to find joy and pleasure. How often do you hear people say that? The whole reason I don't want to do this whole Christianity thing is because God's holding out on me. Because I can't sleep who I want to sleep with. (laughs) I can't drink what I want to drink, right? So real pleasure is over here. I can watch what I want to watch. And yet we forget that over here is a God who said, I created this boundary because I love you. Like a parent that tells their child, I don't want you to run into the street. (laughs) There's a reason. If there, wasn't a, if there wasn't rules and boundaries, there wouldn't be love. God said, I, this is all for you. <laughs> Just stay within these few simple boundaries and things will go much better for you. And you're going to experience more joy and more pleasure staying inside the boundaries that I've created for you than if you step out. And so we know the rest is history, right? Eve bites Adam, who, I don't know if you notice this in the scripture, says, was there with her. Men, what's the number one thing we struggle with? Passivity. I know the good I should do. I know that I should be a protector and a provider for the woman in my life, but what do I do? I cave. I sit passively by. Adam did that. And that is the root of the sin that lives inside of us, especially as men especially as men. Guys, you were not created to be passive. You were created to be a mighty man of God and not stand by and watch evil happens. Don't just stand by and do nothing, men. That's the root of our story. And remember last week how with every story in Scripture, there's an upper story and a lower story, right? Say upper. Upper. Say lower, right? The lower story here is that fruit was bitten into. The lower lower story is that we all say to God sometimes, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. And because of that, because of what happened in the garden and because of what we do, our sin separates us from God. You do know that Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. It was not a slap on the wrist. Oh, sin isn't so bad. In today's Christian world, we don't like to talk about sin. This story is a lot about sin, so we need to talk about it. It's the root of everything that we experience on a daily basis that we say it shouldn't be like that. That's the lower story, but the upper story is that God takes our sin very seriously. So seriously that the road out of Eden leads to us in a cage, shackled up in our own sin. And as we're going to see 
in this video, the road out of Eden leads to an old rugged cross. Watch this video closely and understand that even, even in the garden, God loved you so much that he had a plan. And we're going to turn it over to the skit guys this morning, and I want you to listen to this and be reminded of God's heart for you. Let's take a look. you looking at the cage yeah what do you got in there you know what's in there mankind found them in the garden the funny thing is they put themselves in that cage I had nothing to do with it so what's your plans with them I'm gonna play games with them games what kind of games all kinds of games I'm going to put games into their life that they think is going to bring them so much pleasure that I'm going to turn the world upside down. I'm going to make right seem wrong and wrong seem right. My father and I, we're very fond of mankind. I know. We want them to have access to us. So, I'm going to pay for their freedom. You want these humans? Yeah. You know they've promised you everything before. They're going to turn their backs on you. Some will, and some won't. You're serious. Oh, I'm very serious. It'll cost you your tears. I know. Your blood. Yeah. It'll cost you your life. I know. You're willing to give your life. I'm willing to give what it takes. While we were caged in our sin and could not escape, God had a plan. Remember the verse from Colossians we read at the very beginning? It goes on and in verse 19 it says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven. Now listen to this. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Folks, Genesis chapter 3, this first chapter of our story, ends with sin, but it points to a savior. To one who says, not only did I create you, but I will rescue you from the sin that so easily entangles you and brings death. Oh, he is so epic. But he is so intimate. For as the story continues and we pick up next week, we see a God who never, never gives up on us. We see a God who literally holds a broken world together for the rest of the Old Testament. How do I know? came across something this week that I want to share with you, and this is where I want to end today with a little science lesson. Are you ready for a science lesson? Can't take credit for discovering this, but it's too good not to share. You know, we've spent a majority of our time today talking about how big things are that God created, how, how epic his creation is. But I think if we would 
look at the intimacy, if we would go a little bit smaller and go inside the human body, we will find that God is way more intimate than we could ever imagine. And it's here inside of our human bodies that we find a tiny little protein molecule called laminin. I know, that's my reaction the first time I heard that, right? Laminin. Folks, I'm telling you, you got to know about laminin. Laminin is the cell adhesion molecule. That's what I thought. I think you need to see laminin, don't you? I think you want to see laminin. So what would happen if you Googled laminin, this, this molecule inside? Let me explain it to you this way. I'm just really pumped about laminin today. And here's why. You know rebar? You know the stuff that people use to, to, to build houses and sheds and all sorts of different stuff? And it's this, this steel that you pour the concrete around and it literally holds the house together. It holds everything together. Laminin is the rebar of the human body. I love talking about how big creation is, but I really love about what's going on inside of you right now. Inside of me. Inside of every human life. You got to see laminin, folks. So what I want to show you, this is not under a microscope yet. I'm going to get there. But this is a diagram of what laminin, the stuff that literally holds your body, the glue that holds your body together, that's what it looks like. Does that remind you of anything? Praise God. You want to see the real thing? Magnified about 3,000 times under a microscope? Look at this. The stuff that literally holds you together is in the shape of the same thing that God is going to use to rescue the world. How cool is that? Praise God, huh? How cool is that? That is the stuff that's holding you together. And this is the best part. Back to Colossians. Paul says, For in him, Jesus Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Things have been created through him and for him. Now listen to verse 17. He is before all things, and in him, Jesus Christ, all things hold together. I think Paul knew about laminin when he was writing Colossians, don't you think? In him, through the cross of Jesus Christ, your life is being held together. I love what's going on inside the human body. And you might be wondering, John, this is odd. You're not a science nerd. Why are you so, so, so excited about the intimacy of God and and how he's putting the human body together and and how he creates life? John, why are you so excited about that? And all I have to say is you would be too if that was happening inside of your wife because Tiffany and I are expecting. Yeah. I'm a little excited about laminin, okay? There's a lot of laminin going on right now. And those of you, tons of moms that are expecting, maybe you're excited about laminin too. It's holding our kids together. The cross of Jesus Christ. And it's holding us together. And I'm, I'm really thrilled that you're thrilled about that. And I'm, I'm pumped to be a dad. 
and when I think about that, I just can't help but think about this story and think about God as our Father. And as exciting as a new baby is, I'll tell you what's exciting. God is not only the maker of heaven and earth, but you got to know today that what creation tells us is that no matter what is in your past, no matter what you might be facing today, no matter what is coming in your future, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter what you're facing today, he will always hold you together. That is the promise of the creator, God. And I don't know about you, but I've just been feeling about worshiping a lot lately. And I, so I asked him and the band to lead us in this song. I hope you know it. It's called, How Great Is Our God. So let's just stand together and give God praise and just sing our lungs out for the God that created everything. And let's worship him together.